We feel that to reveal embarrassing or private things, we have given someone something that, like a primitive person fearing that a photographer will steal his soul, we identify our secrets, our past and their blotches, with our identity. That revealing our habits or losses or deeds somehow makes one less of oneself. Dave Eggers from his book, A Staggering Work of Heartbreaking Genius. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 83, Lady Luck. Jenna, I'm looking at the clock here, and it says we have five minutes left, so I want to change gears. Dr. Kotnik said to Jenna Finn. The two ladies sat in wooden chairs facing each other. Dr. Kotnik was a certified psychiatrist, but she seemed to Jenna to be less a counselor and more like some sort of humanoid lie detector, who also happened to have strong opinions about just about everything and a thorough knowledge of human history. For one thing, this room, there was just never the soft, comfortable couch available to lie down on. There was never any theatrics, nothing like a shoebox filled with a gunk that represented guilt. The walls were off-white, the room was small, and sitting in it felt like you were about to get a very uncomfortable physical from a doctor who smirked too much. Nevertheless, the process, in a way, was working. Jenna first came in just after moving to Slovenia. In Jenna's mind, she thought she could take advantage of the nation's free emotional care package. Once the governments of Europe emerged from the ashen soot of war, one of the first policies to be universally heralded was for government-sponsored psychiatric care for survivors across the continent. The thought was simply that everyone was going through post-traumatic stress disorder. And if this PTSD wasn't crushed, and crushed quickly, violence was bound to bang the final nail in the old world's coffin. Jenna surmised that she could use the counseling to help normalize herself, to break free, finally, of any sort of addiction to adventure that remained within Jenna's bones. She wanted to live normally, blend in, be normal. Maybe psychiatry could do that for her. During her first session, Dr. Lenore Kotnik took Jenna through a battery of questions. Lenore was a Brit by birth, but married a Slovene some 25 years ago. She was renowned in both England and Slovenia for being an exceptionally skilled laborer in her practice. Because of this, and due to the glut of patients post-plague, Lenore spent much of her time these days diagnosing people after only one quick 30-minute session. Considering the world's circumstances, she was not hesitant to prescribe all kinds of medications. There was essentially no accountability at present in this post-apocalyptic union, so Lenore felt no pressure whatsoever to play things conservative. 
She even experimented with strange prescriptions at times, allotting anti-schizophrenic drugs to patients complaining of feeling numb, just to give an instance. For Jenna's case, Dr. Lenore Kotnik merely gave her a mild antidepressant. Now, Dr. Kotnik knew right away that Jenna was a special case. She had to give it special attention. Like everyone else, Jenna's nose job worked wonders on Lenore Kotnik. She had no suspicions that her patient was the one and only world-famous Jennifer Dash. No suspicion whatsoever. What she was akin to, however, was that this young girl had secrets that went far deeper than mere gossip girl stuff. Jenna Finn knew deep things. To get to those deep things, Lenore Kotnik interrogated Jen for 45 minutes twice a week. How has you club been for you? Look... I just need a higher dosage. Jenna, pay attention to my question. How has U-Club been for you? I don't want to talk about U-Club. Lenore, I need a higher dosage. You don't want me coming here on Friday with a severed hand and a bag, do you? You're doing it again. What? Trying to transfer responsibility to a third party. Just like I did with Miles? That's right. But I need help just to get through the nights. Just to push through the moments. I'll keep coming here. I'll keep coming to you, Club. Just please help me get through the nights. Lenore Kotnik began scribbling on a little pad of paper. Once finished, she handed Jenna the note. Jenna greedily read it. It's a sedative. Take one a half hour before bed every night. We'll try it for two weeks. Then we'll see where we're at. If it's successful, we'll try the nights without it. Understood? Jenna nodded. This isn't a solution, okay? This is a stopgap. Something temporary. Now quick, before you go, tell me your latest impression of U-Club. U-Club was the third point of convergence for Jenna with her friend Nate's. She had, of course as stated earlier, met Nate working at the casino. It was Nate that recommended Lenore as a psychiatrist. Besides being a native English speaker, Lenore also spent 30 minutes with Nate once a week in the small counseling center. It was Lenore Kotnik that had pushed Nate to join U-Club. Then later, Jenna. U-Club was something of an autobiographical story group. But upon arrival at meeting time, you'd be forgiven for thinking that it was a local chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous. It had that same sort of feel about it. So, last week, this lady talked about her fear of the dark. It was really weird. Did you learn anything? From her story? Yes. Something about yourself, perhaps. Not really. Are you ready to share at U-Club? I'm not a good storyteller. You know you don't have to be. I... I don't know what I talk about, Jenna. Until you start processing aloud what you've been through, you're never going to be able to conquer your memories. Maybe I don't want to conquer my memories. My memories are who I am. Jenna had stood up, eager to fill up her new medication and sleep through the night for once without having to fight off the incoherent yet urgent desire to extract a limb from her body. Sit. What? Sit, Jenna. We're not done. 
Jenna looked at the clock. But it's the top of the hour. Sit. Jenna sat. You went through the glass house. Yeah, we already talked about that. You went through it and survived. Who's to say if Smugly had a good idea with the glass house? Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. But the idea has precedence. Decimation. Yes. Do you know the story of Cambyses and the Persians? No. Jenna had never even heard that name before, let alone a story to go along with it. Before Rome governed the world, before Alexander the Great found no more worlds to conquer, the Persians were the top dogs. King Cyrus took the Persians from a small nomadic people to the champions of the entire earth. They called him the King of Kings. Except, in his time, he never made it down to Egypt, to the pyramids. His mandate to his son, on his deathbed, was to finish the job he'd begun. Cambyses was Cyrus' son, and he was bound and determined to make father proud. So he took the indomitable Persian army south, towards the Nile. But something happened. They got lost, in the desert. Like the Israelites, they wandered in the hot sands of the wilderness, for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was ruthless, but Cambyses found a way to get his army through that devastation. A lesser man wouldn't have acted, and his army would have starved to death. Or, at best, made it through so emaciated that they'd be sheep led to slaughter on the day of battle against the Egyptians. Cambyses found a way to get his army through the desert, fully nourished. When they got through the desert and came across Pharaoh and his kingdom, they demolished those silly Egyptians. Under his strong arm of decisiveness, the Persians took Egypt under occupation. Cambyses had finished the job his father had assigned him. Persia ruled all the known world. But in the desert, do you know what dreadful thing he ordered? No, Jenna whispered. His army drew straws. Every tenth man was eaten. Jenna grimaced. Why are you telling me this? It's a metaphor, Miss Finn. Sometimes, in order for the whole army to succeed, you have to sacrifice parts of the whole for the greater good. Perhaps that's what your mind is telling you late at night. Urgently, Lenore reached out, grabbing Jenna's wrist right at the permanent marker line. Until you cut off those parts of your memory that continue to haunt you, until you sacrifice it, expose it to the sunlight, you're going to suffer, Jenna and your mind is going to play tricks on you. Until you face your past, exercise it, and eat it for lunch, you're going to continue to suffer. Curse story. Why is every child afraid of the dark? You know the answer. You've learned it over time. As everyone can see, you're not Slovene. You were born from Indian parents adopted by two Canadians. They had tried for 18 years to have a kid, then finally gave up. You were theirs from the beginning. Never knew who your parents were, only that they gave you a skin color quite different than your mother and father. 
They raised you Episcopal, hardcore. Then, as if God was winking at mom and dad, two years after you saw the light of the sun for the first time, mom got pregnant. All those years of trying, no one saw this coming. It was a regular Abraham and Sarah story. God had blessed mom and dad in their old age. Your sister Lucy, miraculously, is born on your mom's birthday, her 46th birthday. This isn't a story about how your parents chose your sister to love instead of you. This isn't a story about how you felt left out. Though, you did, and your parents didn't love you like they loved your sister. This is a story about how your mother died. It started almost 20 years ago, before this club needed to exist so we could all exercise our survival in store. Dad was killed in a car accident. Boom. They say he died suddenly. <laughs> suddenly. No kidding. All things considering, Mom was great, strong, kept everything together. As a family, we didn't fall apart. I remember asking, one particularly hard day. It was raining and hot. I remember asking her. <laughs> How can you be okay? She said it was her faith. God would get us through this. And she believed with all her heart that Dad wasn't gone, meaning he wasn't nothing. He was with God, and God was with us. You see? He was living happily ever after. He just happened to be beyond the veil. Faith kept Mother strong. It was only nine months later when Lucy called you. She'd been trying all afternoon, but you were at cheerleader practice after school. This was before the advent of cell phones everywhere. You're at home when the phone rings. Pick it up. Hello, you say. Carista? It's Lucy's voice. Hey, what's up, you say. She doesn't say anything. Something's wrong with mom. Your mind is blank. Is she okay? Where are you? We're at the hospital. What's wrong? She was driving on the freeway. She started shaking. Carista, you have to get here. That's what she says. You don't know what to say. It's it's happening again. Are you okay? You finally think to ask. Yeah, but... But Carista, she says. Yeah? Mom peed. That's what she says. Mom peed. What? After it happened, she peed her pants, Lucy says. You get there just in time. She's dead by the end of the night. Multiple system failure. Not one, not two, but three tumors had been growing, unknown to all of us, inside of her. But here's why you tell your story. What you saw that night scared you. It was the look in her eyes. As she died, you saw in your mother's face her eyes. You saw terror. She was terrified. She was dying, and death was coming for her. Under the shadow of the Grim Reaper, Faith couldn't hide. Faith couldn't peer out and smile. Faith couldn't endure. It was blown to smithereens. Just like that, your mother died, overcome by terror. Afterwards, you learn to surround yourself with friendly people, friendly faces. Comedy becomes your savior. You have to surround yourself with friendly faces, smiles, and laughs. You have 
too. Okay? It's the end of the world, guys. Didn't you see? Don't you see her face? She's hiding behind your eyes. Every night when you lie down to sleep, don't you know her name? You think you do. For years, years, and years, and years, and years, and years, you used your adopted mother's death as the smoking gun against religion and faith. It was pointless, cruel even, you see, because when death comes, we all still grimace at her sight. That was your takeaway. You believed, or wanted to believe. Scratch that. Let's say it another way. The way your mother died was proof that faith is worthless. How naive you were. How stupid. Reality doesn't care if you believe in it. Don't you get it? Or are you still so stupid? You've seen it walking amongst us. You saw how conniving she is, how brutal her worship. You're all dumb like me. Note. The boos are not because the audience doesn't care for being called dumb. They probably don't mind being insulted at all. It is you club's culture to boo whenever a storyteller uses any first-person pronoun. You're all dumb like you. There. Is that better? That's what you want? You, you, you. I believed. You believed. You believed that laughter was the best medicine. You thought if you surrounded yourself with funny people, calm people, stress-free people, then you could overcome your mother's terror. If you didn't hold to her creeds, then when death came, you could smile back at it. Now we know better, don't we? Your sister followed in your footsteps. You were great friends, great sisters, shared everything together. You became mom to her. You were orphans, both of you. It had to be that way. So you whispered your new faith into her ears every night. Every night. The religion of free love, peace, kindness, drugs, smiles, laughter, ignorance, stupidity. That was your way. And Lucy bought it hook, line, and sinker. You thought your mind was wide open, available for whatever friendly truth wanted to barge right in. That's what you thought, but that's not really how it works. When your sister got the plague, the terror returned. Her faith, the faith of laughter you infused into her veins, it was gone from her. Replaced by desperation. Desperation to touch me. Desperation to run away from death. Desperation to not die. The same look you saw in your mother's eyes, you now saw in hers. Death is seeking you out through Lucy. Now you see it all for what it is. You know this life. You know it. You see it in the dark. Why are we afraid of her? Darkness? Why is every little child scared of the night? You are too. If you honestly evaluate yourself, you know you're afraid. And don't try to skirt around the truth by saying something like, Well, blind people are always in blackness. They're not scared. Don't say that BS to me. It's a veil to cover up the truth. It's Area 51. The blind have their own sort of darkness, okay? You'll see. This is no rhetorical question. Why is every child afraid of the dark? Because that's where she lives. What is religion? Religion is the opiate of the masses. What is the opiate of the masses? The covering up of truth. We know the truth when we're born. 
fear is the right answer. We're here to be harvested. That's what happens when we die. That's why it doesn't matter if you're Christian, Buddhist, Satanist, a Neo-Druidist. We're all going to the same place. We're going to her, death. And she's going to harvest us. Enslave us. That's what happens just around the corner. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why there's something instead of nothing. This last year, she must have been working on a new project. That's why she needed so many of us to die. That's why the plague. That's why the bombs. More slaves to work on the other side. Maybe it's a new Tower of Babel for the dark side. Maybe it's a temple. Some new coliseum to be worshipped in. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. But you're not blind anymore. The future is bleak. Always was. Always will be. Death, my friends, is not the end. And that's a terrible thing. Thank you. Ten days later, something wonderful happened. The nightly ritual of hand-itching, mirror-staring, and knife-wielding had indeed faded into dream as Jenna medicated herself into submission. This left Jenna in a jolly demeanor every morning and evening. It just so happened on this particular evening, Jenna was working the night shift at the casino. Clock in at 9, leave for home around sunrise, usually around 6.30. Between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., the casino was usually at its quietest. This tended to be the time that Jenna most looked forward to. Often, she'd ask for the graveyard shift just so she could be around for that two-hour stretch. The reason was simple. Since the pace of the casino softened, Jenna was often allowed to work at tables and games that she otherwise wasn't allowed to run. Things like roulette and the craps table. It was good experience for Jenna to work these other games, and, frankly, more fun. This evening slash early morning, however, Jenna was stuck at the blackjack table. Two people sat at her table. A rather homely woman, probably a meth addict by the looks of it, and your classic, big-gutted, business-class, middle-aged white man. At precisely 4.08 a.m., Jenna dealt cards from a new, as of yet unused, deck. Queen of Diamonds to the meth addict, Three of Hearts to old Big Gut, Ace of Spades to the house. Around the horn again. Methy gets a King of Clubs. Not bad. Combined, 20 for the lady. The gent could use just about anything at this point. Jenna flips his card. She can't believe it. Galletto, the man asks. What is that? In Slovene. She stares at it, unknowingly. Her first sensation is fear. Her eyes peel themselves off the card. Is he here? Somewhere? Is he? The card Jen dealt was no ordinary playing card. It was gold. It still had the same weight as all the other cards, but... It didn't look like paint. It looked like it was truly gold-plated. It had no numbers on it, no diamonds, no clubs, no hearts or spades. In big, deeper gold colors, the card read, Nixon's Spirit! Exclamation mark. 
Underneath the letters, an emblem of the Pied Piper played his flute and danced merrily. The man asked for a second time with anger unhidden in his voice. Gayeto! Sirens. Jenna jumped. Golden balloons trickled down from the sky. Lady Luck had arrived on scene. Nixon Chance, owner of the casino and Legion Casinos Worldwide, had just given out her golden ticket. The random winner was to be the recipient of various funds, stocks, and CDs with a net worth of approximately $1 billion. This gut-bellied middle-class worker bee just won the biggest jackpot in history at four in the morning in a tiny little nation from the world's most famous disguised celebrity on Earth. A celebrity, mind you, that the world was convinced died in the glass house in Christchurch, by the way, some 18, 19, 20 months ago. Soon, local TV stations were all over it. Jenna was doing interviews, posing for photos with the lucky schmuck, and generally being inundated with flashes and boom mics all over again. She didn't get out of there until dusk the next day. She was exhausted. Nates and Petra came by the next day to show off Jenna's mug on the front page of the local newspaper. The man said he was going to use the money to launch a product he'd been working on. No word on what the product was, but it seemed a shame. This man could have done so much. At the very least, he could have had mercy on the meth addict gambling beside him. After all, it could have easily been her, the nameless girl. No one cared about her. She didn't show up in any of the photos. No one wanted to interview her. She wasn't that lucky. Jenna presumed she went back to her den to cook up more drugs. Who knows what history that girl's hiding from, what memories she's using drugs and casinos to escape from. It's funny, Jenna thought. Celebrity just keeps finding me. In the back of her mind, Jenna wondered how random this was. But today, right now, Gandalf needed attention. So, the thought swiftly peeled away, floating into the mist of so many other unanswered questions. This episode, like every other episode, has all of its music and sound effects listed and appropriately attributed on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Guys, give me a tip. Tip me. Go to DanteStack.com slash T-I-P dash J-A-R and toss me a buck. You can do it using PayPal or Stripe, and I'd appreciate that. It helps pay for coffee that keeps me energized and going. Thanks. See you next week.